Welcome to the Uncomfortable Grace Podcast, a place where uncomfortable circumstances become the very conversations that could change your life. We all have some understanding of what it means to have grace for others, but how often do we demonstrate it toward ourselves? It is our hope that this podcast will teach you how to unpack the plot twists and to ask intentional questions that invite deep reflection when life seems chaotic. In the face of great resistance, we want to learn how to soften, surrender, and see where grace can take us because it is so much bigger than a Bible buzzword. Welcome to Uncomfortable Grace. Hi, Kayleen. Hey, Mandy. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Girl, I'm doing good. Yeah. I have my friend and I have a glass of wine. Cheers. And it's so good to be back. <laughs> uh, so we are recording this little intro without our beloved Heather. She's taking a break for a couple of episodes this season. So you get to join me. And I was so excited. So fun. I'm just glad it's not me alone. I. It's risky. Me being alone and doing this. Well, this yeah, it, can, it certainly can be. It <laughs> certainly can be. But remember, you do have an introvert on the other end of this microphone. So it's sometimes harder to get me to talk. That's true. And but I understand we can make, that. But we can make it happen. What? How was your day? It was great. We had a softball practice. I'm a coaching high school softball or assistant coaching high school softball. And we just started. So it's been, it was great. And it was warm today. So gosh, you can't go wrong. It was really warm. Did you play softball? I did. What did you play? I was an outfielder and a catcher, just depending on what year it was. I played catcher. Hey, killer. I was terrible at it. I was good at it. I got I'm one. sorry you were terrible. Well, I was terrible at I played as an adult, so first of all, mm. high risk That's there. totally different. It is. And I um, had one amazing play, and I acted like an eight-year-old that just won the World Series. Yeah, I'm I sure. tagged this guy out as he was sliding to home, and I'm pretty sure I like swung all of my upper body and the ball in my mitt, like right into his Perfect. face as he was sliding and then did a victory dance. Like, yeah, like because you tagged him out. I was so proud of myself. I'm so glad. I'm pretty sure we won. And I think that was the winning run. And then the next season or the next game, I hurt my knee and couldn't play anymore, oh. which was devastating. But oh, absolutely. I might have those timelines wrong, but it was the most life giving event. Oh, for sure. As an adult softball league, which mm-hmm. is not casual. There's not, nothing casual about not it. Not for some people. There are some leagues that are <sighs> casual. We play. I played in a beer league in Colorado, and some of those people were like super serious, but our team was like not serious. We were the fighting mongooses, <laughs> and we had we had such a good time. And we tried to get sponsored by PBR, oh, no. but it, it never happened. In but Colorado, of all the ones, in, you yeah, choose, absolutely. That's what you want. Yeah, in. you know, it's because you can get a thirty rack for like <laughs> for like ten dollars. So. Oh, no. It was great. So we great. just had so much fun, but we we were terrible. We lost almost every single game. But you know what? We had such a great attitude about it. That's good. That's what that's what really matters. You have to have a good attitude. I definitely played in a non-competitive league with competitive players. They were oh, yeah. all really talented, and I felt like a ringer. So putting me at catcher was good. I had a good hit. I'm not fast over a long period of time. Like I'm a good sprinter. Mm-hmm. So I could get to first base, but every time I had to be an outfield, I felt like so my coach called him coach forever because that's what you do, even mm-hmm. though he's a good friend. His name's Jerry. I haven't talked to him in a while. I wonder how coach is doing. Anyway, he would show up and during the week and help me. He would like meet me at the park and just pitch to me hmm. constantly. Like for weeks, I was so appreciative because I'm like, I desperately wanted to be better at this. I love sports and I played growing up, but I felt so sad that I couldn't yeah. like immediately be good at softball. What yeah. the crap? Yeah. That's not appropriate. Yeah. How dare I? But it's so nice when you are really good at something first thing, right? I know, dude, it's my lifeblood. Like, if I'm good at something right away, I'm in for life. Like podcasting. I'm so good at it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? So speaking of podcasting, so this week we're going to bring um, an, an interview I held with Brent Hodge. He is, oh my gosh, lovely dude. I met yeah. him through Twitter. Um, through his wife, actually. But funny enough, they are they lived in the Rogue Valley for a very long time. Turned out after the fact, I discovered we had a ton of mutual friends, <laughs> which was great. Um, but Brent, uh, you're going to relate to him big time, I think, because he was a pastor's kid. Oh, yeah. 
And he... All, all the pastor's kids sound off. Everybody raise your hands. Yeah, seriously. I didn't marry a pastor's kid. I married an MK, a missionary's oh, yeah. kid. Very similar, but different. It, it's, yeah. Every time I think, isn't that the same in your experience? And he's like, God, no. No. I was in Nigeria. And I'm like, oh, right. Not Connecticut or yeah. whatever. <laughs> different worlds. Washington State. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Brent's story is just beautiful. He's gone through so many different shifts over his 25 years of being in ministry, which Mm -hmm. initially he, of course, was like, I don't know if this is my path as, I mean, I imagine all PKs experience that question. Oh, for sure. What was it like for you? I mean, there's this expectation, you know, every PK I think is under this expectation to be, to be one thing. And it's like, okay, Mm. that's to be like the perfect, perfect person. Yeah. The perfect, the quintessential parishioner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and that's for any age that's hard to live up to. Right. You know, me my my dad is, was a pastor for up, he was a pastor up until I was like in my 30s. Yeah. Until when he retired and so yeah. that's how that's just how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And there's always these people look a little bit uh they look a little bit deeper into you and they look, they criticize, they criticize a little stronger. It's like you're everyone's kid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's not even the, it takes a village mindset. No, 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 no. That's a supportive. Yeah. Could be manipulated poorly, but yeah, that's no, different. That wasn't, that's not, that's really not the case. It's, hmm. it was not the case at all. Okay. It was, a, it was a perfection, perfection thing that happened. And I'm sure, I'm sure that Brent, experience that as well (laughs) and and you know i grew up in eastern washington and so depending on where he grew up it yeah probably the exact same thing yeah i don't know if it necessarily matters the the region i've heard so many stories um from pastors kids over the years that they've just experienced the same kind of pressure and just this idea that you have to carry on a lineage i was interviewing someone for uh the restorative grief podcast Mm -hmm. uh the other day, and he expressed, my family are Lutheran pastors. Five generations, he was expected to be the fifth, and his father had passed away. And when his dad died, he said, it, what lifted was the idea that even in my 50s, I had to become a Lutheran pastor, mm. even though it was never his intention. And mm-hmm. of all the siblings, he was like, no, that's not my role. I'm not going down that road. I thought it was fascinating because it just resonated so deeply in how we try to take our identity from the most common places, right? Our parents, our family. Mm-hmm. And yet, even as we grow, we're still looking for identity in in good places, but the definition and the motivation shifts. And, you know, that's honestly what it sounds like really happened in Brent's life is he had this 25-year ministry and then some things over that period of 25 years started to rise to the surface. And so today's conversation is just a really beautiful story of what he is doing in his life now, what he's about to step into, um, and how he's exploring the organic nature of faith outside mm. of outside of the machine of church. Yeah. And outside of the expectation. Yes. Yeah. And what that looks like. Yeah. So I'm really excited for this before uh So without any further ado, here's my interview with Brent Hodge. Great. Hello, Brent. Thank you for joining me today on Uncomfortable Grace Podcast. How are you? Uh, I'm well, thank you. It's been a a fun morning to get to this point, but uh, man, I'm excited to just talk today and see where this goes. Good. Well, I, I agree with you. It's always interesting when you have these big conversations that I feel are big and invaluable and important that are you're gearing up for. And then it feels like there's just little things that want to get in the way. So mm. part of me senses the resistance and says, okay, let's just lean into this resistance, but also know that something very beautiful can come from this conversation. So yeah. before we go too far and I just start rambling, why don't you introduce yourself and tell our audience a little bit about who you are? Sure, I'll try to make it simple. Uh, the the synopsis is I grew up in the church. I was born a Christian. Uh, I like to say it that way uh, because my dad was a pastor. Um, he was a pastor for 45 years. He just passed away recently, but we are grateful that he's at peace. He lived a full, incredible life, and we're in a good place with that, getting ready to 
to help mom on the next season of her journey as well. But raised in the church in high school, I really got to the place where it's like, okay, this is, am I a Christian or not? And that's where it became real for me. And I immediately got involved with church, was a part of worship and tech stuff and loved sound and did that for years, was a creative and worship arts pastor for years, and then helped plant some churches, moved into the multi-site mega church world, um, have been in the little liturgical kind of Anglican spaces as well. And more recently, I've really come to the realization that much of the ministry that God has called me to and much of what I've learned about Christianity, I can no longer live out inside the church working for a church. And I say that not necessarily in a harsh way, but there definitely are some things to discuss around that. Um, but I, there was a lot of hurt, a lot of trauma, a lot of leadership failures, a lot of things that kept my wife and I from moving forward with God, what God had called us to and how to minister, how to care for people. And the things I'd learned about what Jesus told us weren't looking the same when I was behind the curtains of a church. And so it really came to a place for the last couple of years I've been on a journey and a, a, a real loaded word right now is deconstruction. Um, I'm not deconstructing from my faith. I'm deconstructing from the institution that walled in my faith for so many years. And I am grateful to be in a place of tension now of trying to figure that out. So after 25 years of full-time ministry, as of April of this year, I will no longer be in full-time ministry. Um, I'll be back in the marketplace and looking to minister and care for people in a much more organic and outside and organizational way. So there you go. <laughs> That's a really good synopsis. Well done. I love you said so much there. And I'm just furiously thinking, okay, brain, which question do you want first? I love that you, uh, reckoned with your, your faith in high school. I think so many of us do that and then think, okay, well, this is what I've been raised to believe. Now, do I actually believe it? And if so, what do I do with it? Um, I certainly resonate with that, but to decide to pivot after 25 years of full-time ministry is so significant. And one thing I love that you said is you're not deconstructing your faith. You're deconstructing from the institution of it. And after 25 years of seeing all the ins and outs of the institution and, and what sounds like more than one denomination too, creates such a, I would think a rich visual tapestry to, to explore. Can you speak more about that? Yeah. I, and I, I like the phrase, a rich tapestry of things to explore. Um, if you think of it from a childlike faith, when we first learning, start learning about Jesus, and some of us are still trying to figure that out, like, do we even believe in this Jesus dude? And we're trying to figure that out. And many of us have been a part of the institution for years and years and years like me, grown up in it or just been a part of it or maybe been a part of a denomination that's very structural and rigid. And so what happens when you're in that place is it creates rules and boundaries and borders around how you live your faith. It's just like a kid going to school. Like, I hear these stories all the time about kids that are artists and creative and then goes to class and it all is just squashed. And they have teachers that are like, no, you can't talk during class. And no, you can't draw pictures during math. And I wish there was a way for us to recognize the beauty of, of what things really are and then to celebrate that and lead people down that. Well, Christianity is so beautiful. Following Jesus is so beautiful. It's this organic loving relationship of us with him and us with others. And when you start to build walls and boundaries and limitations and guidelines and guide rails to all of that, you begin to establish these things onto your faith and your life that limit who Jesus is, what he's trying to do in your life and how he wants you to live out your life with others. And so me going through the church after all these years, um, I, I believe there are wonderful groups of people leading churches and wonderful churches out there. What I've experienced is the vast majority of people's experience, which is today's evangelical church, if you want to categorize it as that, is one that is formulaic. It's rigid. It has a a strict guideline of how we do things. You come to Jesus this way, you serve, you give. You now go to the mission field, you're in kids this week, you're at the door welcoming next week. There's this rigid thing about how we do it. And 
our faith, our questioning, our walking through, our discerning, our challenging, our learning gets lost by our doing things that really are irrelevant to our faith in Jesus. And so to break free from all that is something that I feel so free about. And honestly, as a, you know, fairly fundamentalist Baptist kid that grew up in that for years and years and years, it scares the crap out of me too. Because people are telling me, well, you're leaving Jesus. You're leaving your faith. It's like, no, I love Jesus more now that I don't have walls guarding me from seeing who he really is. Um, So there's a beauty out there and a childlike faith that I want us to all get back to and to celebrate and not to create these barriers and walls around what that's supposed to look like when we see Jesus. The conflation of the two, right? This understanding of who Jesus is and love of Jesus versus or not even versus, but just conflating behavior and participation in a formula versus our ability to connect with Jesus and have that rich experience of faith can be such a deal breaker for people. And I think you clearly experienced that. How did that shift how you move through your relationships as you started realizing these two have been entangled and they're not the same thing. They're, they can be wholly experienced completely in a separate way. Yeah, I was pretty lucky early on when I said that um, high school was really where I got my my faith was really born out. That's I say I was, you know, I, I accepted Jesus when I was five and got baptized by my dad. But when I was a junior in high school is when I really started following Jesus. That's really when it took hold, like the spirit came. If you want to get all religious and spiritual about it, that was a moment in my life where I really felt God's presence and him saying, okay. We're on this journey together. And that's when it started. It started because I was really challenged about living out my faith in Christ, doing good, doing what was right, seeking justice, things like that in our own community, as well as communities around our area. And our youth pastor was incredible in helping us see these things and be a part of these things. And, you know, we were in marginalized communities and we're in communities that just need an extra hand. And we were learning things about coming into those communities and being God's love to them and not just white Americans bringing them stuff and dropping off money. And, and so it was really challenging me. Well, what was easy then was I was a musician and some friends of ours are musicians. So what better than you know, at the late 80s, early 90s, being a musician in church, I mean, contemporary worship is taking off everything about what I love is being allowed. We can have drums now. We can yeah. wear jeans. Like everything <laughs> was amazing. And so there was this period of time that it was like, man, this is easy and this is fun and I enjoy it. And I'm not getting challenged, I'm not getting pushed back. And then it took a step farther as I wanted to become more pastoral and step up into positions beyond just music, I got involved with organizations and churches that then took that leadership role and put a standard around it. And it became abusive, not only to leaders themselves, but it also became abusive and really systematic to the people that were in the churches as well. And it was during that period of time uh, about 10 years, eight to 10 years ago, where I really started seeing this is not what I signed up for. This is a machine. This has a system. I'm being told things by the highest leadership that don't match up at all with who we're called to be. Um, And then I'm watching these leaders all around me and people around me have moral failures and different things going on and a justification for it. And, And then being told myself, literally, I'm too fat. I need um, better clothing. I don't raise enough money. I, you can go down the list. And at that point it was like, I was just lost. I was gone. It was heartbreaking. And that was the turn where it's like, something has to change. And we came back to LA and found a beautiful little church to be a part of for a little while. And I'm actually finishing up my ministry with them right now. And it's a fantastic little community of about 50, 60 people and love serving with them, love being with them. It's very, what I would call like an early church South thing. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. And uh, for a while I got healed there and my wife got healed there. And we're like, okay, we're ready to kind of put our gifts back to work. And we went to work for a church that would be considered more mega and evangelical in its future. And we got there and it just triggered us crazy. Even with good people, 
and okay judgments and the right heart, the things that were happening, we just realized we aren't called to any of this anymore. And so it was at that point where it's like, I have to quit. This, this portion of my life of being on staff, being salaried by an organization has to end because I can no longer justify it with who I am as a Christian and in how I see Christianity being lived out and following Jesus. I can't do it anymore. That was those last eight to 10 years were a turning point. And about two years ago was it, it, it we're done. We're done. It has to be done. That would be so complicated to experience cognitively, but also just emotionally over and kind of repeatedly to feel like you've come to this place where, okay, I'm settled. I'm recognizing that there's restoration in my life and this is becoming more palpable to wade back into these waters and then to have it rear up again and say, nope, comfort zone just got a lot smaller. I don't know how to exist in this comfort zone anymore because every time I move my arm, I'm reaching out of it. And I'm essentially, it sounds like, like having your hand slapped almost with perspectives or just a shift that you have internalized in, in a healthy sounds like expression, but not being able to express and experience that corporately would be really disheartening, I think. Yeah. And, and it was, and to this day, I love the people I was a part of recently. Um, I really do think they're good people, but they're a part of a system that I can no longer be a part of. And whether they get to a point of believing that or not, or continue to have ministry in that system, that's fine. That's up to them and, and their convictions, their heart. I'm not saying what they're doing is wrong or, or what they're a part of is wrong. But for me, uh, it was, it was truly, I'm not saying this lightly horrifying. I've been in, um, with a therapist for the last couple of years. And this last year, the beginning of 2021 in January, I started having panic attacks for the first time in my life. My body was shutting down. Uh, my digestive system wouldn't work. I mean, go down the list of all these things that were happening because I was experiencing these trauma triggers in a church that was loving me. Um, but I couldn't disconnect what I was seeing being done and what I was told was being done because of the abuse in the past. And it was, it was, you know, we're finally at a place where my beds are better now. <laughs> my heart, my uh, heart rate and my blood pressure is better. We're getting to a place of, you know, we've come beyond that. But um, you talked about getting my hand slapped. Well, my family did get their hand slapped. And that was things that were taking place where my wife and my daughter and myself and and son, we, we all have our own journeys. We all have our own voice. We all have our own ministry. And for my family members to be told, you can't do this anymore in a certain environment because it's not doing Brent any favors. Um, wow. I, I just, I, I actually put on my calendar today as I was preparing for this, that I don't know if I've truly sat down with my wife and apologized to her for not standing up in a strong enough way immediately when she had what took place to her at the last church when it took place. Um, Cause I want to talk about that. She would, she's going to come back and say, no, 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 you support me. No, no, I should have resigned that day. Like that's where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I realize that now, but in fear and in trauma and in abuse, um, you often, I've always tried to leave things well. And I realize now that leaving well, especially in the last season was just allowing my abusers to have more hold on me for a longer period of time. Oh. And, uh, so that's a, that's, that's tough thing about it, but yeah, it, it, uh, even though there's lovely people doing things for the best reasons, um, some of us have been hurt in those environments and we can't, we can't come away from that seeking to live in that environment anymore. And the people that are, have been hurt there, they're out there waiting to seek Jesus again. Yeah. And my ministry is to them and my ministry is to them because of it's a ministry to me too. Right. And, uh, I love that. I love the church. I love people. I love Jesus. Um, so let's figure out how to call it out, make it what it is and really get back to the honest truth of what being a Jesus follower is. Yeah. I, there's a song by United pursuit called the simple gospel. You probably know it, but it was one I was, a, yeah, I was a worship leader for 16 years. And it's one of those ones that always comes back to me of, I will rejoice in the simple gospel. 
it is always for me, if we can get back to the baseline of what, what, what is the purpose of the gospel? What was the, what was the outcome of Jesus's ministry and walk on earth? And is it accessible to all? Cause if there's a gate that he didn't establish, that wasn't just come over here. I love you. Okay. Then we've put something in the way. And I, it, those are the moments where it becomes akin to spiritual gaslighting for me. And as I'm listening to you, I'm like, Oh, leaving well, that phrase, it is so easy to, to believe truly, like I am going to honor these people and we try our best. And there will always be the person who is wounded by our leaving for whatever reason. And, and unintentionally brings gaslighting to the table. Say like, I know you're saying I said those things, but I never said those things to you. You're like, wow, I don't. Okay. We're at an impasse. And that, that just leads me to the question. Um, I'm curious because I love that you have great love for the people in this church you're finishing your ministry with. Uh, but I'm curious how over time, the shift from full-time ministry has impacted your, uh, your social circles, having 25 (laughs) years of quote unquote church family, but you work there. It's such a convoluted perspective because we wouldn't, I don't know, we behave differently in churches than we do in a, in a boardroom and we, yeah, we have our heart so splayed open or not, but I'm curious how that's changed your, your interactions <laughs> socially. Yeah. I, I, you question. know what? I, well, I think there's a lot there, but I can try to be simple with it. I, I mentioned earlier behind the curtain, um, those who've been, in ministry, full-time work for church, understand what that phrase is. And many people that haven't would understand as well. But if you don't understand what that phrase is, at church, we make a lot of decisions as leadership that the people who sit in the chairs every Sunday morning will never know about. And some of that is accountable. And a lot of it is just us making decisions behind the scenes. Well, you can see how that can be really dangerous really quickly, especially if you have leadership that tends to be a little more you know, narcissistic or kind of harsh or whatever, it can really lead to places of agenda that have no place in the church. And so abuse takes place in people's lives, even when they don't know it. Right. Um, there's propaganda happening from stage constantly. The verbiage we use to get you to give at church is constant propaganda saying the same things over and over. If you say it enough, I've, I've heard massive leaders in the Christian community say, hey, if you say it seven times, they'll do it. Seven is the lucky number. Like we've studied this two times. No, five times, maybe seven. Yep. Everybody does it. It's like, okay, we have to announce it the next seven weeks. And we have to put it on social media seven times. So <laughs> you can see where all that goes. Um, when it comes to the social circles, there's as much as a curtain involved in the social circles as well. Cause the reality is depending on who you are as a leader and involved in the church, you have a social social circle outside the church that would never walk into your church. These are people that you love and care for. They love you enough to love you, even though you're a part of something they don't want to be a part of. They love you enough to love you because they see that you truly love them, even though that you're stuck in a system that doesn't love them. And, you know, we, we, we don't need to go down this, any of this road, but politics and, and voting and, and agendas and, you know, different cultures and societal things, man, we put lines in the sand as churches that we've never been asked anywhere in the Bible to put. Right. And we have those social circles out there that are going, Hey, we love you. We're never walking in there. So there's that. And honestly, those are the people we've always had and will always have with us because it's been real. Then we have the acquaintances that invite you over for the birthday parties or send you the cards. Or I know every year I'd get this little gift bag on my birthday from such and such a lady, even though I've never said a word to her in my life because I'm her pastor. And she just, (laughs) she's so grateful for me. She has this huge relationship with me that I have no clue about. Mm. Um, so there's these social mm. circles of people on the perimeters, which also is a dangerous thing, depending on what kind of leader you are. You just value that love for you, even if it's not a real thing. Um, and then there are those within the church that as you, like we're doing, progress beyond the full-time ministry, I would say about nine out of 10 of them just kind of fade away. They're not sure how to deal with you anymore. Wait, is he leaving the church? Wait, I can't tell you how many times my wife had people come up to them when we resigned from our position in the church that we lived in Tennessee 
and said, did your husband have an affair? And it's like, can we not resign from a church without being accused of some sort of moral failure? Um, I I can't tell you how many times that question came up. And it's like, uh, no, in fact, we were kicked out of the church because leadership. And they're like, what? What? We thought Brent had an affair. It's just this bizarre. So there's about nine out of 10 people when you leave a church that are just kind of fade into the background. And then there's those one out of 10 that I still talk to today from every church I've been a part of um, that, you know, seek me out on Facebook or Twitter, or we chat every once in a while and I'll get a note from them and I'll post something. They're like, you know what? You made a difference in my life. You, You know, I talked to a lady recently that we took a trip to Haiti with when we were in Nashville. And she's like, like you and the church were a huge part of a very formative time of my year spiritually of my life spiritually during that trip and she is now in a place where she can no longer be a part of the church we were because she's watched it become something that she never thought it was yet she still really supports the ministry that took place around the good people that were there which i was one of those that was a safe place for her and we still have a great relationship that's the one out of ten that still follow you around but we have people that we would call our best friends for years haven't heard one word from them since I moved from that city or from that church. Um, that's part of it. It just, your social circles are never what you think they are when you're in a church, when you're out of the church, you realize quickly who your social wow. circles are. What you just said that they're never what you think they are is so it's so intimidating and and nerve wracking to think about. But even going back to something else, you said this lady had a huge relationship with me that I had no idea about. That's so it's so shocking when you think about it, but it makes complete sense. Of course it makes sense. We have, we form attachments to people that we admire and respect. It's, it's why we grieve when celebrities pass away. It's this idea of an idealization of someone that we think they are based on what we observe, but the truth is we know so little about them. And I think that that comes down, that comes so frequently in church circles because we have this assumed middle ground, uh, common ground of a faith. So we think, oh, well, if they're in this room with me, they must agree with me in all fronts. And I say this a thousand times. If someone agrees with you on everything, one of you is lying, totally full of it. There's no way <laughs> they're going to fully agree with you. And And I love that you are still in touch with individuals too, in those spaces, because I think that that's such a, it's like, um, well, it's like a trail marker, right? You, you can look back and say, that was a point in my life and a season. And this individual was willing to keep walking with me, regardless of the fact that our proximity is not convenient. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. What, um, what would you you said earlier that you want to figure out how do we take this disentangling of our faith from Jesus or our, not a, from Jesus, from disentangling Jesus from the, the machine of church life. What would you suggest to other people who are trying to do that? Like what's a practical way that they can approach that without going back to the traditional, Hey, you want to grab a cup of coffee? Because that always feels confrontational, even though it's intended to be the most loving thing. If someone is hurting from church wounds or from relational loss, whatever that is, the, can we grab a cup of coffee sometime is so loaded. How would you, how would you recommend people approach doing ministry differently in an organic, natural way on behalf of others, instead of trying to say like, cool, I represent this church on the corner and we'd love to hear your perspectives. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think something that's really important that I'm determining now is who is it that's my, who are the people I'm trying to speak to? Um, I think that's really important because I think at church, we often think, oh, the masses. I remember sitting in a leadership conference where they said, hey, church is all about a funnel. Do everything you can to get every single person in your city into a seat on Sunday morning. Now, the vast majority of them will never follow Jesus, but that's okay because we'll funnel down to people that serve and then make a decision and then become disciples. And it's like, wow, so maybe we go backwards. Let's put the funnel upside down. Let's make disciples and then bring people in. Um, That's just my opinion on that. But 
<laughs> I think there's this understanding in church that we have to reach everyone. And the church I'm a part of right now is not going to reach everyone. Um, it's not even stylistically a church that I'd say, this is my church. I just love the people. So I'm willing to support them and work with them right now. Um, but it's not my church. I wouldn't look forward to going there every Sunday morning. I love them. I look forward to, <laughs> I actually taught kids church there yesterday and we were saying, Hey, how many of you feel like your parents make you go to church? You have to go to church. And of course, every kid's like, yeah, I feel like I want to sleep in. I want to watch the cartoons, whatever. Didn't have breakfast yet. Oh. And I'm like, well, what happens if we change that perspective? We get to go to church. We want to go to church. Why would you want to go to church? And so we spent some time talking about why we want to go to church. And the overwhelming response was not because Pastor Brent's up there teaching me right now. And I get to hear Pastor Brent tell stupid jokes. No. It was, I get to see Timmy. I get to see Laura. I get yeah. to see Kim. I, I get to sit next to my friends. And then we go get, the greatest thing I remember as a kid, we get to go out to lunch after church together totally. and hang with families and friends. That is the fellowship relational aspect of church that um, unfortunately large churches takes on the form of kind of cliques and groups and things like that because it's so big and you can't have thousands of people go to lunch. You can only have tens. Um, but people are aching for that relationship. And I think, okay, redirect me on that question. Cause I was going there and then started to steer. You're, away. you're right there on the precipice of something brilliant too. How do you cultivate that change of doing church and being impactful in an organic way, as opposed to the machine of church trying to reach the masses? And that's really good. Uh, I think that's an important way to look at this. The idea that, so I've been a part of, you know, the church I'm part of right now. It's very, very small. When we were in Nashville, before we left Nashville, we attended a little Anglican church that was 30 or 40 people, very different than my traditions as a Baptist, mm -hmm. but lovely and beautiful and very, a good reminder of just our practices and traditions that remind us of who God is. Mm -hmm. um, two, a church that we planted that was up to 3,000 people, it was a part of a 10,000 church, you know, to people church in Nashville. So I've been a part of these little things, these massive things. And what I've found is that the larger it gets and the more systemic it gets, systematic it gets, mm -hmm. sorry the less it becomes about the simple, fruitful things of our life in relationship with Jesus and with others. We are always talking in a big church about making our churches smaller. Okay, let's do groups. Let's do this. Let's do that. And, you know, there's some validity to that. Again, that's very clicky in large churches because you can choose to go with your friends into a group and all you do is have dinner every time you meet instead of really disciple each other. Um, but there is this reality that the bigger it gets, the harder it is to really be honest about relationship, to be in relationship with people. Because yeah. like you said earlier, it whenever somebody that I haven't talked to in a while or a leader, hey, let's go get some lunch. Let's go get some coffee. I absolutely red flags go up, especially when my wife has had. Yeah, especially when my wife has had this happen. She's had. The pastor's wives go, we should get coffee. And then those meetings were horrific. Um, so, but why are those meetings so horrific? Well, I think we've taken advantage of our leadership roles and we've abused our privilege. And instead of seeking relationship with the people that we are saying we're pastoring, we um, direct them, we instruct them, we uh, discipline them, we point out the wrongs because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to show you everything that's wrong with life so you can become a better Christian. And there's just that aura of it. And the bigger the church is, the more that's a part of the system because we don't have time to talk with everybody. So, hey, I need to make this yeah. quick, but you got to stop doing this and stop putting this on social media. We love you. We love you at the church, but please no more. And coffee's done. He's gone. It's like, there's no relationship there. And so I, the only way I can see that changing is that as a Christ follower, who decides to be a part of a church, Sunday morning is a lovely time to go hear a message and to be a part of a corporate thing, worship, whatever, communion, things like that. It's a wonderful time to do that. And it's a very biblical thing, but it's not church. It's the time the Christians gather together 
to kind of edify each other and build each other up, which isn't happening in church. It's we just make big shows to bring non-Christians in. So when are the Christians gathering together to edify and build each other up? That would be my big takeaway is if you're a big church, is you're gathering about edifying and building up Christians to go and spread the gospel. Or is it about bringing a lot of people in to experience something that don't know Jesus? All those things are great. If you're in an evangelistic church, great. But you're not a church if you're just evangelistic. Um, there's so much more about that. So if your Sunday mornings are all about evangelism, but there's no discipleship, which the evangelical church and what I've been a part of is terrible at. Terrible. We aren't yes. a church. Yeah. We're a show on Sunday morning to get people to behave a certain way, act a certain way, and to support the machine that's moving forward so we can do more of the same. Um, so I, my recommendation is any place you go, however much you love it, however big or small as it, it is, are you in relationship with people that if someone walked up to you and said, hey, let's go get lunch today, let's go get coffee today, you would go, ooh, that sounds great. It's totally. an exciting thing because you know you're going to sit down, you're going to have a great time together because there's actual relationship. You've seen fruit from both sides of this kind of participation together. And you know what? You may have some hard discussions in that thing, but the intention is to be together, not to have a hard discussion. And so that would be my big thing. Wherever you go, is the relationship world that you are in, in that specific place, healthy, boundary-free, safe, not abusive? Do you feel comfortable that if you are, that's your church and you got the people around you to enjoy it? That's so beautiful. So many things you said made me think of moments in my own life where I have those relationships, where we've been very wildly intentional and said, this is actually the life I want to pour into. That You are my person. Can we be each other's people in the midst of doing church and whatever that looks like. And it's, it's been revolutionary unequivocally. And one thing that you said too, which I thought was interesting, the idea of make disciples, right? That's the, that's that we go out and we're told to go make disciples in my mind. I hear that phrase and I think of creation. I'm making something new. That's not my role. I wasn't sent to create new things and people. My job is not to direct and correct and discipline. My job is to gain a natural ability to love and influence someone. Like if my life influences someone naturally for the positive, then I'm living in an authentic way to who God has called me to be. And this idea that, mm. that you can show up and just course correct someone as if you've been given that authority because you're in the same room that blows my mind, but it, you're absolutely right. That happens all the time. Uh, uh, absolutely. Um, okay. We are, we're cruising up on our time here, but I want to ask you something because you're going into web design now, right? Well, I have done web design. I'm okay. actually, uh, <laughs> that's kind of an open thing. This is part of the journey is I've had little bits and pieces of things that are possible, but nothing is solid yet. So okay. in two and a half months, um, pretty much by <laughs> Easter, I'll either have a life or I'll be living in my car. So we'll see what happens. Very good. Well, that's perfect because the reason I ask is I was looking at your website, brenthodge.com and it's your web design location or landing page. And I love what you have at the top. You have the phrase value, clarity, influence. And mm -hmm. I just want to end on why those three words, what that means to this authentic version of you that you're unearthing and how that is what's carrying you through to the next thing. Yeah, I think all those things, I think we can put words like value, clarity, and influence. We can either sit there and look at these are very like hot terms in the business world or the social media world. And, and people use words all the time to support what they're doing. I mean, the minute you ask for an offering in church, it's thank you for your generosity. Now continue to give. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always to pat you on the back and keep doing it because you're doing a great job. Oh, yeah. And sign up to give online because actually statistically more people get consistently online than they do in person. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that. But don't tell them the statistics. Just tell them that's the best way to do it. So we use all these ways to say things to get people to behave or act certain ways. Here's the problem with that is that means nothing. It's an end to a means for you for nobody else. And we see this so much in the social media world, because really at the end of the day, they want you to buy your their t-shirt and they may have the greatest statement. And the reason why they're building these, you know, making these t-shirts and the, the, the reality of these t-shirts are made of something that will never hurt the earth ever. Oh, great. I want one. Why, why, what, it, but it's got a stupid phrase. I don't want that phrase on my shirt. You know, it's, 
digging into all these little words. So value, integrity, and influence to me are three words that are highly, um, they shouldn't be, but they're highly subjective when it comes to how they're carried out. So value, we so often in American culture look at value as, well, if it's expensive, it's worth it. Or if I spent a lot of time on it, it's good. Um, no, you could spend a hundred hours on building a, a, a paper mache mountain and it looks like crap, or you could get someone that can do it in one hour and it looks amazing. What's a better value paying them for it or spending a hundred hours doing it yourself. So there's that whole idea of value is more about the substance than about the process to get to substance value is about the end product versus getting to the end product or the seemingly reason you're getting to the end product. I'm not, I'm not a guy that lives in the camp that we pay a lot of money for the whys. We pay a lot of money for the whats. And the whys and the hows better prove what the what is in the end. Because if you give me something and sold me on something and it's not right, I am going to be really unhappy. So value has to be something of substance. And it's irrelevant about time or money. It's more about what is the best way to get from here to there and actually get what you deserve in that moment. Integrity is just what it is. I, growing up in the church, it's so easy for someone to walk up on a stage that has a voice and to say one thing and then to go back off that stage and do completely the other things. Um, I listened to a pastor for years and years and years talk about getting face to face with people and being held accountable and all of these things. And yet behind the scenes, he wouldn't meet with his other pastors. And he had me as a pastor of his church had to schedule time weeks out to even talk to him. Um, He ended his ministry on moral failure. Uh, He's Mm. uh, the, the idea that you can say what you want to say on stage doesn't mean anything unless it's backed up by what's off stage. And so integrity for me is a lot more about the people that I'm seeing doing what they're saying. And so integrity is all about, Hey, we said this, it's going to be this. Yeah. Um, and the influence part of it is I believe everybody has something to share. We all have a journey. We all have a story. We all have something to offer. I don't care who you are or how, you know, how you think of yourself, mm-hmm. but influence is no more than I have something to offer you that you don't have. That's mm. all influence is. And we can take advantage of that because we're charismatic and we've proven to people how good our life is. And so you want to share in this life with me? No, no, no. I want you to be influential in people's lives, no matter how little you think it is or how big you think it is. And yeah. we can look at, you know, Mother Teresa is a great example. We can look at her life. And I think arguably everybody can go, look, she was a huge influence. Mm-hmm. But you look at her life and you listen to what she said. Yes, she's a huge influence in, in centuries to come and generations to come. But her life right in that moment was just at a little place, a little hospital with a small group of people. And her whole basis of influence was, I can do it for one person. And so I'm going to do it for that person. And then mm-hmm. when I've done it for that person, I do it for the next person. Yeah. And so to have that focus of influence be less about let's have a mass group of followers on social media, attend a concert or buy a t-shirt and instead to use your influence to let people spark and shine in something that's real and Mm -hmm. tangible and life changing. That's Christianity. Like if I can sit with one person in my life and show them Jesus and they see it and their life changes because of it, that's the greatest influence I can have on a person. And I may do that with one. I may do it with thousands Influence doesn't get stronger or less if it's one or a thousand. It's whether you have impacted a life. I love that last bit. Influence doesn't increase if it's one or a thousand. That's a perfect note to end on. Brent, (laughs) this this has been a wonderful conversation. And um, where can anybody that wants to know a little bit more about your perspective or just even walk alongside you through this, where can they find you? Yeah, well, let me preface it by this. I'm on social media, but I have been not very active for about three or four years. And it's been because a lot of the influence and the people around me that have been a part of abusive environments are heavily there. So I've had to kind of create safer places in social media. And also, I've just been trying to find my voice again. Yeah, I've 
come from a place where I'm learning to deconstruct my values and institutional upbringings and all that stuff. And so I'm learning what I want to speak about and why I'm speaking about it and that it does have value, clarity, and influence. Um, but the other thing about that is, it, you know, I am starting to find that voice. And so I'm on Twitter. You can find me. I'm on Facebook. You can find me um, if you want to be a part of those things, uh, because I am starting to create a world there where I am pushing in a little bit and I know it's going to rough some feathers up and I know it's going to have some pushback. And I had a big post on Facebook about why I'm doing that today. And part of it, the majority of it is because there is so much emphasis put on what the church is and what it looks like and what a Christ follower is that I believe many of much of it is getting lost in the loud abusive voices of people on social media. They are not an example of who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And those kind of things need to be called out, pointed out, and we need to learn about what is right about Jesus. And Mm -hmm. so I'm starting to dig into a place where I really do want to be kind of on the edge and finding uh, the loose cannons a little bit that we can have discussions, not to change their lives, but really to encourage and support those that are still challenged by both sides arguing with each other to find the truth of who Jesus is. So if you want to be a part of social media, Twitter or Facebook, I'd love to have you there. Let's discuss till the end of the day. I won't stand for bullying, abuse, gaslighting. And if it is, I'll probably leave it there and point it out and let people just see how you've treated everyone. So just a warning. (laughs) I I am trying to find my place in that, but I want it to be a place that gets us back to the truth of who Jesus is and what being a Christian is. Um, But if you ever want to privately talk to me, please email me, brent at brenthodge.com. I love to have conversations with people. There's a lot of you out there that maybe things sparked um, something Mandy said or something I said where you're like, oh, I want to know more about that, or I felt the same way, or I'm having these same concerns, but I don't understand it. Let's talk about it. Happy yeah. to. And if you're if you're in LA, let's go get lunch. Let's get coffee. And I'm saying <laughs> that in a safe way. I'm saying it in a safe way. I'm going to be there to listen and hopefully encourage you. So I, I love getting face to face. That's what ministry is. That's what me being a pastor is. That's what relationships in Christ are. Um, you don't have to find me on Facebook just email me and let's get together face to face. Let's do it. Love it. Brent, thank you so much for taking time to share your heart and your incredibly inclusive and beautiful perspective of growth. It's been lovely today. Thank you, Mandy. Thanks for listening to the uncomfortable grace podcast. Each episode is recorded and produced in Medford, Oregon by Kayleen Brown featuring music by Mixon. We're so grateful you made time to listen to this episode. And if anything stood out, we would love to hear from you. Connect with us on social media and please share this podcast far and wide because everyone needs a little more grace for the middle of their messes. And we've got plenty to go around. Talk to you next time.